Well, we finish, Lord willing, Matthew 13 this afternoon. Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58. I would encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. If you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus, we would encourage you to bring your own personal Bible, to have your own personal Bible that you bring to church that you have open, and if you need your own personal Bible, we would love to give you one so that you can have that and carry it with you everywhere you go. Well, maybe not everywhere, but you get my point. People carry their Bible everywhere they go now with their phone. People have their Bible on their phone. Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished, and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Father, we thank you again for the words of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of of being here together, gathered together to read the very words of Jesus, to, to even have Bibles in our own language, to be able to hear the Word of God read and, and preached. Lord, we are a privileged people, born in this place, born at this time. Lord, you've worked in our hearts such that we desire to be here and and hear this most glorious news of Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the dead when so many people, Lord, never even had the opportunity to hear what we hear and see what we see and know what we know. Lord, we are a chosen people, a loved people by you, and we thank you and we ask, oh God, we would never get over that that you would amaze us with your grace to us this morning, that we are here and hearing the words of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that your words would land on us in power, by the power of your Spirit, that we would would hear and and be encouraged and be changed and humbled and grow in love for you, that there may be people here who have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And we pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, that people would come into your kingdom, that angels would rejoice in heaven for sinners who repent at Albany Baptist Church today. And so, God, do that, Father. Do beyond what we could ever dream or imagine in our own lives as we make strides in sanctification by being here this morning. That we leave here more humble, more loving, more gracious, more kind, more in love with you, Jesus, more amazed at grace, more eager to delight ourselves in you, Lord, knowing you'll give us the desires of our heart. And so, God, please come and be with us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Lord willing, we finish Matthew chapter 13 today. 
We've been meditating on the parables Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. And last week, we were reminded in the parable of the dragnet that God will judge, that if you had to uh, divide humanity, you would divide them into only two categories, the good and the bad, meaning those who know Jesus and trust Jesus and believe on Jesus and are born again by Jesus' Spirit, and those who reject Jesus and don't believe in Jesus and uh, follow some other God. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, or just atheist, or just churchgoer that doesn't really believe, or young person who comes because mom makes me, you have that category. There's only two categories, those who know Jesus and those who don't. And we saw that God will judge the bad in hell forever and ever and ever. But we also saw that Jesus saves from hell through his life and death and burial and resurrection and all who believe in him shall be saved from the wrath to come. And Jesus encouraged his disciples to teach others what they had learned, both new and old, that were to teach people the Old Testament and the New Testament and show them that we interpret the old by looking to the new and Jesus helps us rightly interpret the old. And we're to go and and share this news with everyone around us. And this week, we see that Jesus continues to teach and amaze those he teaches. I mean, it's striking in this passage. They're amazed. They're astounded, right? There's a way which you can be amazed at Jesus and astounded at Jesus and yet reject him and not believe and be saved. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we're not even amazed, are we? And so we need to pray for that. Lord, (laughs) amaze me today with Jesus. Amaze me today with Jesus and help me believe in him. Because we see people in our passage who are amazed and yet they reject him. Uh, They reject him. uh, uh, And they reject him because of a kind of familiarity. We grew up with this guy. And they reject him because of unbelief. They reject him because of a kind of familiarity and because of, a, 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 of unbelief. And those are temptations for us as well. We, we may come even this morning and say, I've heard this passage over and over again. I'm familiar with this. Pastor's going to talk about Jesus again. He's going to talk about his death again, his resurrection again. I'm familiar with this. I've heard this. I'm 70 years old, and I've heard this all my life. But those who know him want to hear it again. Those who know him want to hear it again. Delight in him again. Rejoice in him again. It never gets old. That's one writer said about the Apostle Paul. He never seemed to get over who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And so we want to pray against this kind of familiarity with Jesus that leaves us bored. Jesus is not boring. If you find Jesus boring, the problem is with you, your mind, your heart. And so pray, Lord, work in my heart. Amaze me with Jesus. Don't let me be too familiar with Jesus. Let let me be amazed with Jesus again. Let me be amazed at hearing this old, old story. 
And I think last week's sermon is helpful because when God uh, 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 sparks up the, the flames of hell under our rear ends, we, we begin to be more thankful for what Jesus saved us from. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning as I was listening to Michael Osborne teach. Uh, w- what would my demeanor be if, if last night my house had caught on fire? And I, I was sure I was going to die. And at the last moment, firemen burst through my door and pulled me out. I, w- I, would, I would be sitting in this class with a different demeanor. <laughs> there, there would be an excitement. There would be a joy. There would be an amazement that, that I've been saved. And, and, and the reality is, friends, if you're in Christ, that's you this morning. You should have been sent to hell last night in your bed and God had mercy on you and saved you and you are here this morning not in hell because of Jesus Christ. And you have eternity look forward to to be with him forever and there there would just be a joy about you in remembering what you've been saved from and remembering what you've been saved to. It just changes your whole day when you get that perspective. To live in that perspective is where we as Christians need to, need to fight for faith, to remember and believe. And so don't be too familiar with this message of Jesus and believe what he has said. And so let, let, let's look at these verses together. Uh, num- number one, Jesus taught in his hometown. Look at verses 53 and 54 again. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. Beloved, notice again, Jesus came to preach and to teach God's Word. I want you to get this. How many of y'all love Jesus? Yes. So we want to do it the way Jesus does it. So if you ask the question, why does this church so emphasize Bible study, Bible reading, Bible memory, Bible preaching? Why? Because we love Jesus. And we're going to do it like Jesus. So I want you to notice this again this morning. Jesus came to preach and teach God's Word. Matthew 4, 17, he's always doing this. I'll give you a survey of Matthew's Gospel. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Matthew 4, 23, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. Matthew 5, 2, he opened his mouth and taught them. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 11.1, Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples and he went on from there teaching and preaching. Matthew 21.23, when he entered the temple, he was teaching. Matthew 22.33, when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Matthew 26.55, day after day, I sat in the temple, Jesus said, teaching. And then what does he tell us to do? What does he tell us to do? What is the the last words of Jesus? People's last words are important, right? What does Jesus tell us to do in his last words before he ascends to heaven in Matthew's gospel? Go preach. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. We love Jesus. We follow Jesus. So we're going to do it like Jesus. 
And that's why we spend the most time during our service doing this. That's why I encourage people to read the Bible every year. That's why we have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. That's why we study the Word of God. That's why we have Wednesday night Bible study. Because we love Jesus. And we want to obey Jesus and follow Jesus and do it the way Jesus did it. Because Jesus knows better than we do. You see? Mark Dever commented on this uh, just looking at church history. Of the 1800 editions of Martin Luther's printed works before 1526, 40% were published sermons. He, he preached a lot of sermons. Heinrich Bullinger, uh, Zwingli, the, the great reformer Zwingli's successor, preached six times each week. In his 44-year ministry, he preached over 7,000 sermons on all the books of the Bible. John Calvin preached twice on Sunday and also during the weekdays. 286 sermons Calvin preached every year, around 4,000 sermons in his lifetime. Beloved, this is why we put so much emphasis on reading, studying, teaching, and preaching the Word of God, because Jesus did. Because Jesus did. And Jesus goes again in our text to to teach in, in his hometown. Now, his hometown was Nazareth. He, he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, but then he grew up as, as a young man in Nazareth, and then his base of operations was in Capernaum. Matthew 2, 23, we read, he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was spoken by the prophets, that, was, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so Matthew doesn't tell us explicitly what the name of this town is, but the other gospels do. He is in Nazareth, and he's again preaching and teaching God's word. Point number two, Jesus taught in such a way that the people in his hometown were astonished. Look at verse 54, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. The synagogue was was a a place in in Jewish culture at that time where there was teaching of the Word of God. It was was almost like a community center. It's not where they worshiped. The temple was where they worshiped, but they met in the synagogue and and the Bible was read and taught. And so Jesus was teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he did it in such a way as people were amazed. They were astonished. How did this man get this wisdom? They were astonished at his wisdom. They, they were astonished at the mighty works he'd done. And, and, and beloved, just realize Jesus was always astonishing everyone everywhere he went. He, he, he was astonishing people at his birth, remember? As soon as he comes into the world, he's amazing people. Luke 2, 9 through 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, the shepherds, and they were filled with fear. And an angel of the, Lord, uh, the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. His birth astonished people. As a child, he was astonishing people. We read in Luke 2, 41 through 42 and 46 through 47, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And remember, they left and couldn't find him, realized he wasn't with them, so they went back to find him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed 
at his understanding and his answers. He amazes at his birth. He amazes as a young man. And he amazes as a man. We see in our passage and also when he finished the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. He was an astonishing teacher, an amazing teacher. John 7, 46, the officers said about him, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like Jesus. Mark 2, 12, we read, he rose and immediately picked up his bed. He, he healed this man and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. He healed this man and said, pick up your mat and walk. And the man did that and, and people saw what Jesus did and they said about Jesus, we've never seen anything like this. Is that how you, you feel about Jesus? Is that how you see Jesus? He, he's got to give you this. He's got to amaze you with himself and show you there's no one like him. No one spoke like him. No one acted like him. No one healed like him. No one forgave like him. No one lived like him. Are you astonished by Jesus Christ in a way that leads you to believe in him? Because sadly, these people, they were astonished at Jesus. They were amazed at Jesus. And yet, they rejected him. They did not believe in him. The people were offended by Jesus. Look at verses 54 through 57. They were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Familiarity with Jesus leads these people to belittle Jesus. That they, they, they hear Jesus, they, they, they where, where did he get this wisdom? Where, where did he get these mighty works? Notice they believed he did miracles. We're going to come back to that, but notice they'd seen him do miracles. Some people say, well, if I could see a miracle, then I would believe. If, if Pastor Joseph would start levitating and fly around the room a few times and then sit down and say, see, Jesus made me do that, so that's why you should believe what I'm saying. If he did that, well, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It, nothing would be enough for you. These people saw the mighty works of Jesus. Sometimes we say that. If I could have just been there. If I could have just been there in the first century and seen Jesus feed the 5,000. See Jesus raise the dead. See Jesus make blind people see. Then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Because you have a heart problem. No matter how much evidence anybody gives you, no matter what philosopher helps you understand philosophy and the evidence for Jesus and helps you understand the Bible, you will not believe unless God gives you faith, yeah. unless God changes your heart, un unless God makes you love Jesus more than your sexual morality. Mm. And all the other reasons people don't want Jesus because they would have to change their lifestyle. What? You see, we love that lifestyle more than we love Jesus. Notice that, beloved. Notice that. They'd seen his mighty works. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And they say, is this not the carpenter's son? We, we know this guy. This is Joseph's boy. 
the carpenter's son. We, we know him. Who does he think he is? Is not his mother called Mary? We know his mom too. These are his brothers. We grew up with James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. We know all them. We know his sisters as well. Where did this man get, get these, these things? And they took offense at him. They're, they're saying, who does this man think he is? He's one of us. We know him. We grew up with him. We know his dad. We know his mom. We know his brothers, his sisters. How special can he be? He's one of us. We grew up with him. It reminds us of that, that proverb, familiarity breeds contempt. We get familiar uh, and we, we lose the thanksgiving and, 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 and the appreciation. Children, you, you can think about this with toys. With your toys you get. I remember uh, when I would get new toys and when you first get them, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? You're, you're happy, you're joyful. Thanks, Mommy and Daddy, for this new toy that I can play with. This is amazing. You play with it every day for, 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 for a month. And then what happens? Huh. Yeah. I have that. I had that. I got that. Familiarity. You just get tired of it and you need something new. You need something new. That it makes you happy. That it's something that's not familiar to you. Something that, 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 that will excite you afresh. And uh, it happens with adults as well. Children, nothing in this world, toys or whatever, nothing in this world will ever satisfy you forever. Except Jesus. No person... No relationship, no toy, no new job, no amount of money, no new car. Nothing. Nothing will satisfy you like Jesus Christ. And these people who grew up with Jesus, they reject Him because they uh, know Him and they reject Him because of familiarity. And they took offense at Him. They, they take offense at Him. D.A. Carson comments, every time anyone takes offense in the New Testament, looking at that word, it, it sounds like the word, word scandalize in, in, in the Greek. Every, every time someone is scandalized at someone in the New Testament, guess who it is, is toward? Jesus. Every time. <laughs> That's sad, isn't it? And they take offense at him here. We get some insight from Luke's gospel into why they may have so rejected him. Some believe this is the, the same encounter Jesus had in Nazareth. Some believe this might be an earlier account, but it does give us insight into why they might have been so upset with him. Look at Luke 4, 14 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Luke 4, beginning in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about Him went out through all the surrounding country. And He taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. And He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Him. He enrolled the scroll and found 
the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their own town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they really got mad at Jesus when he started talking about how Gentiles had more faith. They rejected him. They tried to kill him. At first they marveled, at first they were amazed, but, but then when he started talking about their sin, they got angry. They got angry and rejected him. Beloved, we, we should realize that some people will not believe in Jesus Christ no matter what evidence that we show them. Some people will not believe in Jesus Christ no matter what evidence you show them. Remember in Luke again, Luke 16, 19 through 31. Luke 16, 19 through 31, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. 
But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. People are searching for all kinds of mystical experiences. If I just had an angel from heaven come and speak to me directly audibly, if I could hear God audibly speak, if I could just have some ecstatic, mystical experience, then I would believe. Oh, we love signs and wonders. You know what Jesus said about people who are honky-dory for signs and wonders? You wicked and adulterous generation seek for a sign. No, Jesus says here, if they won't read the book and believe, Jesus told this in Luke 16. Jesus says if they don't believe the book, they don't believe the written word that Moses said and the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, if they won't believe the book, they won't believe the risen Christ. Even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe the word in the flesh if they won't believe the book. You see the priority Jesus himself gives to the book? The written word of God? Woo! We better follow Jesus. We better make sure that Jesus we say we love is the Jesus of the book. Because Jesus said if they won't believe the written word and the Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced if even somebody would rise from the dead. Again, because God must change your heart. He must change your heart. He must cause you to be born again so that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. J.C. Ryle comments on this and says, do we fancy that if we had only seen and heard Jesus Christ that we would have been His faithful disciples? If we do, let us not think so. Let us observe the people of Nazareth and learn wisdom. They saw Jesus' miracles. They heard Him preach and they rejected Him. They rejected Him. Ligon Duncan comments, you see the problem with our own belief today is not that we have to depend upon the testimony of the apostles and if we had seen it with our own eyes that we would believe it. The problem with unbelief is not a lack of truth, a lack of proof or a lack of evidence. The problem of unbelief is moral and spiritual. It is the heart that rejects the truth. It is not a lack of evidence which makes us insecure about trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, people love their sin. People don't want to move out of living with their girlfriend. That's why they reject Christ. People don't want to stop lying to their boss. People don't want to stop cheating on their taxes because they love that money. (laughs) That's why people don't believe in Jesus. Because they have cold, dead, wicked, selfish hearts. And it doesn't matter how much evidence you give them, they will not believe unless God shows up and awakens them to Christ and awakens them to His beauty and awakens them to their sin. It's a moral problem. People reject the truth because they are wicked and sinful and dead spiritually. And they love their sin. Jesus came to His own but his own did not receive them. Receive him. Because they love the darkness rather than the light. And and so friend, if, if you're here this morning, if you're online this morning and you 
came here because your friend invited you or, or you know, you, 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 you were invited by someone during the week or you just were curious and wanted to know what is this Christianity stuff, you need to realize what the Bible teaches about your condition apart from Jesus Christ, that you are dead in sin, that, that you are dead spiritually, that you can't even take the first tiptoe step toward God until He comes and opens your eyes. That you've broken God's laws, broken God's commands. The Bible teaches all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've disobeyed God. We've not loved Him with our heart and mind and soul and strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We've sinned against Him in manifold ways, some of which I've mentioned. Lying, cheating, stealing, sexual morality, adultery. By what we do and what we don't do, by what we think, God looks at our our hearts as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. If you look with lust, you're an adulterer at heart. If you're angry, you're a murderer at heart. And so we've all sinned against God in these ways. And because of this, we deserve God's judgment in hell forever. Because He's good and righteous and holy. And so we deserve to be set on fire by the wrath of God and torched forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity where the smoke never ceases to go up. That's what we deserve for our sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, He loves sinners. God loves sinners. He loves you. So He did something to save you from His wrath. He sent His own Son Jesus Christ, the God-man, truly God and truly man, Jesus comes into the world and and lives a perfect life, went around teaching this amazing teaching like we're hearing this morning, taught like no man ever taught, spoke like no man ever spoke, did miracles like no one has ever done miracles, made blind people see, made deaf people hear, made lepers cleansed, touched dead bodies, and made them rise from the dead, loving like no one ever loved serving like no one ever served. And then He took upon Himself our sins. He took upon Himself our sins, the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And He took that upon Himself and was crushed with God's wrath. He took the hell we deserve. He was lit on fire, so to speak, by the fires of God's everlasting wrath and suffered that damnation and died and was buried. And it seemed like all was over because cursed is any man who's hanged on a tree. The Jews saw that and think, that wasn't the Messiah. That wasn't it. (laughs) There goes all our hopes. Are you hopeless today? (laughs) You have hopeless situations in your life? That's where they were (laughs) on on Good Friday. They were hopeless. (laughs) Three days later, Three days later, God raised him from the dead, did the impossible. Jesus is alive. That's why we're here today. That's why we're not Seventh-day Adventist or Seventh-day Baptist, because Jesus rose on the third day, the Lord's day, when John was in the Spirit, when the people of God met and have always met since then. And we rejoice that he is risen. Don't wait till Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today He's alive. And He calls everyone everywhere to repent, to turn from sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Young people, have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. 
friend, if you're here this morning, if you've not done that, I urge you, believe on him and trust Christ. He will save you. He will cast all your sins behind his back and remember them no more and you will know him and be known by him and be adopted into God's family and be a child and daughter of God. You will have the Holy Spirit come and dwell in you. You will become a temple of the living God. You'll be united to Jesus Christ and he will enliven you with his spirit and cause you to to trust and obey him. Friends, this is the gospel. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can simply receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. To him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. If you haven't done that, please find me afterwards. I'll I'll be here. Find another Christian. Speak to them. We want you to believe on the Lord Jesus today and be saved. And not reject him like these people in his hometown. We want you to be amazed by him and believe in him. Well, Jesus responds to these people who reject him. Let's look at Jesus' response to the people in his hometown. Look at verses 57 and 58. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus says in verse 57, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Beloved, notice that Jesus says he was a prophet. (laughs) Jesus is the prophet of prophets. Yes, Jesus is a prophet. Now, he's not merely a prophet. (laughs) Jesus is a man. He's not merely a man. But he is a prophet. He's our prophet, priest, and king. Uh, he, 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 He is the greatest prophet. He spoke God's word. He interpreted God's word. He trusted God's word. He obeyed God's word. He was and is God's word come in the flesh. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is a prophet, the prophet, the greatest prophet. And He's more than a prophet. He's the God-man prophet. And He speaks a proverb about familiarity leading to dishonor, which we've already thought about. They knew him too well to honor him, they thought. And so again, Jesus points out that this familiarity leads them to dishonor. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own household. Verse 58, he says, or Matthew says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, Mark's gospel even sounds more more shocking. He could not do, he could not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Have you heard that before? Maybe on that wicked and godless TV channel I tell you never to watch? TBN, the Devil's Broadcasting Network. 
these faith healers, these prosperity preachers, they tell you to come and get your cancer healed and get your weak knee healed and get this healed and get that healed and then it doesn't get healed and so what do they say? They blame you. You must not have had enough faith. You see, look what it says. Jesus could not do mighty works. I'm not better than Jesus, so if you don't have the faith, then I can't heal you either. He couldn't, I can't. And so they blame you and make it all about your faith. Beloved, that is from the pit of hell. That is wicked. That is demonic. That is godless. That is twisting Scripture. And that is belittling the Lord Jesus Christ. As if anything I do or say (laughs) hinders Jesus from doing whatever He will. But how should we think about this? What was the nature of their unbelief? Beloved, remember I already said they believed Jesus could do miracles. This was not a failure of them to believe that Jesus could do miracles. I mean, he had he, he'd done miraculous healings. They, they saw him make blind people see. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him cleanse lepers and cast out demons. They saw him do this. There, there was no doubt in their mind that Jesus could do these miraculous works. Remember verse 54. They were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They knew he could do that. They'd seen it. So what what, what is the nature of their unbelief? These people did not have unbelief in Jesus' ability to do mighty works and miracles and healings. They had seen him do them. Their problem was that they did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe that He is the God-man, Messiah, the Savior of the world. And since they did not believe in Jesus Christ as the God-man, Messiah, Jesus could not and Jesus would not do mighty works for them because He was judging them. I can't help you, not in the sense that I'm not able to heal you or I don't have the power to heal you, but in the sense that I refuse to heal you because you only view me as a miracle worker who can fix all your personal problems and give you your earthly desires. And you don't view me as the Messiah, the God-man who came to save the sinners of the world and worthy of your worship and trust and love and obedience. You see the difference? Oh, everybody wants to be healed. You don't have to be born again to want to be healed. You don't have to love Jesus to want to be healed. Nobody wants to die of cancer. Nobody wants to suffer. Everybody wants to have their best life now. Worldly, godless people want that. You don't have to be born again or have a spiritual molecule in your body to want that. Everybody wants a lot of money. Everybody wants a nice car and a nice house and no pain and suffering to be comfortable in this life. And so they came to Jesus for that. Jesus, be my genie in a bottle to give me whatever my flesh wants to make me happy. That's the Jesus of TBN, the Jesus of Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar and T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen and and, and Joyce Meyer and, and Kenneth Copeland. It's a little Jesus genie who gives you whatever you want to make you happy. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus that died on a cross and rose from the dead and saves from hell. It's a false Jesus. Ligon Duncan's helpful here. He 
he says, now it's very interesting if you'll turn with me briefly to Mark 6, 5. Mark puts this even more straightforwardly and says, Jesus could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. Matthew, of course, tells us that he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Now that phrase, Jesus was not able to do a miracle there, or Jesus could do no miracle there, has been very frequently appealed to by faith healers. You know, someone goes up to a faith healer and the faith healer says, I'm going to heal you of your cancer, and three weeks later, the doctor checks and the cancer is twice as large as it was before. And you go back to the faith healer and say, well, I thought you were going to heal me. And what does the faith healer say? Well, it's the great fallback of all time. You didn't have enough faith. You see, your faith or your lack of faith prevented me from healing you. So they will often appeal to these passages as proof of that position. That's wrong. That's dead wrong. We need to understand that the people of Nazareth were not doubting that Jesus could do miracles. They believed that he could do miracles. They were doubting that he was the Messiah. Faith is not faith that Jesus can do hocus pocus. Faith is not faith that Jesus can do miraculous supernatural things in your life. Faith is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, and you receive and trust in Him alone for your salvation as He has offered to you in the gospel. That's the kind of faith that's being spoken of here, and it's that kind of unbelief, that kind of lack of that kind of faith which causes Jesus not to do miracles in their midst. People came to Christ all the time who were trembling and wondering whether he could do amazing things in their life. But the key was they trusted in him as Lord and Savior, and great things were done. You see, this is not an excuse, as if the unbelief of the people was thwarting the power and purpose of God. The point is, the hardness of the hearts of these people kept them from going to Christ for healing and caused Christ to judge them by not doing great signs and wonders. I I spoke with a pastor this week in Kisii, Kenya. Did I say it right? Kisii, Kenya. Uh, And this man had... had, uh, The the, the false charismatic gospel runs wild as it does here in in Kenya. And uh, this man told me his story about... He he, he got converted and now believes the things we believe called Reformed Theology. What Michael Osborne is teaching... Uh, 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 biblical theology is what I would call it. Uh, and and he, his specialty was helping people learn to speak in tongues. That's what he could do. And, and he, he, was, he was good at speaking in tongues and he was good at teaching people how to do it. And so they would, he was sought out among charismatics there because they would come and, and teach me to speak in tongues so I can teach to speak in tongues. And uh, uh, he, he had a very profitable business and he made lots of money but, but of course they teach you've got to give more to God to get more back so he was giving all his money away and he lost his business because of these false lies of this false prosperity gospel uh, and he, he, he was going down, 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 down and, 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 and he, he was questioning whether God is real, whether God is true because he, he, God supposedly promised all this stuff and it wasn't working out and is God even real? But he kept his faith, he kept believing in God and, and uh, he began to read certain books that, that aren't the best books but, but they at least taught better 
there's, there's good, better, best. And so he got some better books on grace and better understood grace, the free, lavish grace of God. He never heard this before about the amazing grace of God that God forgives all of our sins and we can't earn it, work for it. It's all a gift from God and, and God loves you. He cares for you. You can't earn it. He loves you. Grace, grace, grace greater than all of our sin. And he was basking in this amazing news that he can't earn God's love. He can't give enough money to get God's love. He can't tithe enough to get God's love. But God just freely gives it in Christ Jesus. Grace, grace, grace abounds to the chief of sinners. And so he kept looking online and he began to see these, these good internet preachers. Praise God for the internet. There are good internet preachers. He began to listen to people like John MacArthur and John Piper and, and, and people like this and Paul Washer. And, and, and more and more he came to realize that, that this Reformed theology is just the Bible. Faithful, true interpretation of the Bible. And he's totally come out of that hogwash theology. And now he trusts the true and living God, the sovereign God. And, and there's no good church where he lives. None. I mean, can you imagine that? Nothing. Nothing in that village. Beloved, be thankful. <laughs> be thankful for what we have here. It may not be perfect, but we have a church here that preaches the Bible. And if I ever stop, fire me. But they have nothing. They have nothing except this charismatic hocus-pocus garbage from Satan leading people astray and people think they know Jesus and are going to heaven. And sadly, what will they find out on the last day? But God saves people out of that. <laughs> he saved this man out of that. There's hope. There's hope. And now he follows the true God. And, 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 and so, friend, if, if you've, you've been influenced by this false gospel, there's hope for you to come out and believe the true gospel and trust in Christ and live for Jesus. Friend, realize Jesus does miracles when people don't have faith. Did you know that? <laughs> so going back to the text, G Jesus does not need your faith to work a miracle. Did you realize how big that makes man and how small that makes Jesus? The Health, Wealth, Prosperity Gospel, they have a little mini Jesus, a little baby Yoda Jesus. He can't do anything unless you allow him, unless you have enough faith. That's wicked. That is blasphemous. Don't talk about Jesus that way. I remember seeing an interview with Miles Monroe, he's dead now, and Benny Hinn, and they were saying, God can't do anything on earth unless you give him permission through your prayers. Friend, do you hear that and realize that's blasphemy against God? Yes. That is not my God. They have a different God. My God does not need my permission or my prayers or my preaching or my church or my theology or my anything to do whatever He wants. My God is in the heavens, He says in His Word, and He does whatever He pleases on heaven and on earth. Amen. Behold your God. Yes. <laughs> he does not need my faith and my permission. Feeding the 5,000, there's no mention of faith in the person. Calming the storm, the, the disciples did not have faith for that. <laughs> Healing the Gadarene, uh, the, the Gerasene demoniac, or all the times Jesus cast out demons, guess what? Those demon-possessed people did not exercise faith so that Jesus could do that. 
The demons did not give Jesus permission to do anything. <laughs> Healing the lame man in John 5 who didn't even know who Jesus was. He did not need that man's faith to heal him. Raising the woman of Nain's son from the dead. <laughs> the people Jesus raised from the dead, they did not exercise faith. <laughs> the resurrection, maybe the greatest miracle, did not require anybody's faith for that to happen. The conversion of the Apostle Paul. Was the, was the Apostle Paul exercising faith when Jesus showed up and converted him? No. He was, he was exercising what we see in this passage, rejection, hardness of heart. And Jesus just showed up unlike a gentleman and knocked him down. I hear that sometimes people say, oh, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He won't make you do anything that you don't want to do. Well, I'm glad he's not a gentleman because I'd be going straight to hell. Yeah. He broke into Joseph's proud, arrogant, selfish life and knocked him down and showed him Jesus is king. Like a warrior. No, Jesus does not need our faith to do what he will do. D.A. Carson says the could not is related to Jesus' mission. Just as Jesus could not turn stones to bread without violating his mission, so he could not do miracles indiscriminately without turning his mission into a sideshow. Someone has said, you don't see faith healers working in hospitals for the same reason you don't see psychics winning the lottery. You, you get that? You don't see faith healers going to hospitals. Why don't they go to CHOP? Why doesn't Benny Hinn show up at CHOP and just heal everybody? Because he's a sham. For the same reason you don't see psychics winning the lottery and predicting every football score correctly and getting rich. Because it's a sham. Beloved, don't be taken in by the sham, false prosperity gospel. Having said all of that, I think that we as reformed people, we can minimize the place of faith, of subjective faith in the life of the believer. And, and so some people would just say what I've said, and I, don't, I have a point three on this. <laughs> I think we as reformed people can minimize the, the, the God-commanded necessity of us having faith in our hearts in God that is necessary and important. Faith is still vital and important. We must still have faith, but not the kind of faith of the prosperity gospel false teachers, i.e., if I just believe enough that Jesus will give me what I want, then I'll get what I want for me to make me happy the way I want to be happy with a focus on healing, wealth, and material prosperity. No, not that faith, but we must have faith that Jesus is the God-man, the Messiah, the Savior of the world who died and rose again from the dead to save us from our sins, and we must have faith that Jesus can do whatever He wants. He can heal. Do you believe that? He can heal. He, he, he can. He can raise the dead. He can raise the dead. Yes. He can raise the dead. He can do the impossible. You believe that? Yes. We must have faith that Jesus knows best and that He may not choose to heal or stop death, or raise the dead. We, we must have faith that says whatever He does is good and right. Your will be done. 
We must have that kind of faith. And so we pray radical prayers for Jesus to do radical things and heal and save and even raise the dead. But we trust Him. We trust Him and say, your will be done, God. You know best. And I trust you. So like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? Do you remember their, their, their speech to the king? Our God will save us. But even if He doesn't, we will not bow down to you, O king. Amen. That, that, that's such a good way to think about prayer and praying for miraculous events to happen. Our God will do this. He can do this. But even if He doesn't, we trust Him that He knows best. We trust Him that He knows better than me. We must have that kind of faith. We must have faith. Listen to how uh, Matthew's gospel describes the necessity of faith. Uh, Matthew 8.10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. People trust in God in such a way that Jesus is amazed. You, you know, the, the centurion, I, I, I'm, I'm a man under authority and I say go and he goes. I say come and he comes. And he's basically saying, you are, have all authority, Jesus. If you say the word, you don't got to come to my house. If you say it, it will be done. In other words, he had a radical faith that Jesus can do whatever he pleases, wherever he pleases, whenever he pleases. And Jesus marveled as his faith. We, we must have that faith. We should pray for that kind of faith. Yes. That honors Jesus. Matthew 9, 2, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw their faith. They believed Jesus could heal this paralytic. Do you believe Jesus can do that? Yes. Matthew 9, 28 through 29, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. We must have faith. Faith is important. Faith is vital. As believers, we must trust that Jesus is the God-man and He can do anything He pleases. Hebrews eleven six 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Beloved, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe God's Word? In what ways is your worry and anxiety and fear this morning testifying that you don't believe Him as you should? And just take those to Him. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my fears. Forgive me for my anxieties. Forgive me for my lack of faith, my lack of trust. Forgive me for how this habitual sin in my life or this action in my life is evidence that I'm not trusting You. Please forgive me for these things. And please, God, strengthen my faith. Increase my faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Faith is vital and important. And as Christians, it's something we should seek and seek to cultivate and seek to grow in. Trusting Christ. Beloved, may we honor Jesus Christ. Jesus says here that He wasn't honored in His hometown. He wasn't honored in His hometown a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown. And we see today Jesus was not honored here. But now, 
In many ways, Jesus is honored all over the world. Jesus is honored. There are people who have met together like this who have worshipped Jesus all over the world today. Right in Mombasa. In South Africa. In China. In Iraq and Iran. In South America. In the Middle East. Everywhere. People met today to honor King Jesus. May we honor Him by trusting Him by loving Him, by delighting in Him, by obeying Him, by joyfully submitting to His will and and being willing to suffer for Him because He suffered for you. Jesus Christ made our faith even possible in Him by His perfect life and death and resurrection from the dead. And we honor Jesus by having faith in Him and what He has said by believing His Word. May we honor Him like Abraham did. Romans 4, 20-21, no distrust made Him waver concerning the promise of God, but He grew strong in His faith as He gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. So you give glory to God when you trust Him. When you believe in Him, especially when what you're believing Him for is, seems impossible. I mean, the situation with Abraham was is he was as good as dead. His wife was as good as dead. They were totally barren, and yet Abraham trusted God to do the impossible and give them a son because God said he would. And so the more impossible your situation this morning, the more, the more in position you are to give great glory to God by trusting Him no matter what. And so believe Him and give glory to Him. And, and run from unbelief. Flee unbelief. Hebrews 3.12 Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And so may we glorify and honor Jesus by trusting Him. Christ Jesus astonished all who heard. His wisdom's great. Their hearts were stirred. His mighty works confirmed the word. Offense they took. Their hearts absurd his father gave these things transferred for he himself is god the word no honor his home conferred a killer to his life preferred he suffered all god's wrath unheard he died and then rose up the third now rules and reigns or all occurred by faith alone no wraths incurred so we are free and undeterred to trust, obey His every word. For our whole life, He'll undergird and be our joy never deferred. Joy deferred, love deferred makes the heart grow sad. Jesus is our joy that will never be deferred. Father, thank You for Your Son. Thank You for Your Son's word to us. Lord, thank You that You have so worked in our lives that we uh, 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 believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for ourselves that we would never get too familiar with you, that we would realize there's always more to know and enjoy and delight in in the knowledge of you. Father, we pray that you would amaze us anew and afresh with your grace and mercy and love. 
Father, we pray that you would forgive us for our unbelief. We pray that you would show us ways in which we are sinning against you by not believing what you have said. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would increase our faith, that you would build our faith up, that we would truly trust in Christ alone and that we would know, oh God, that you can do anything. You please, help us trust you with our lives. Help us trust you that your will be done. Father, help us trust you with suffering and pain in our lives. That you're at work. This suffering is never for nothing. God, we pray for anyone here today who's never come to trust in Christ. We pray that today would be the day they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. And so God, work today by your Holy Spirit in us all and draw us to yourself. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.